If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 12, we're going to be reading verses 38 through 44. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus then sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor woman widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. May God bless this reading of his word. There is a Bible verse that makes every pastor quake in his boots and for a brief second reconsider his profession and his calling. You, you want to know what that verse is? That one verse that every pastor hates. It's James 3, 1, which says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I've yet to meet a pastor who's excited about the idea of being judged more strictly than others by God. I remember when we were confronted with this verse at seminary and about all of us in that class that day looked at each other with the same expression like, why would anyone do this then? Why do we want to bring down double judgment upon us? What James was saying, of course, is that pastors and other Bible teachers have a great responsibility to feed and lead the flock of Christ. However, with that also comes the power to mislead and mistreat them. At my time at seminary, we had a professor fired due to adultery, and our president resigned because of financial misconduct. This warning from James echoed in our heads back then because we all knew how great the temptation was to fall into sin and how much that would hurt the people who looked up, up to us and for our leadership. So when I voiced my worry about this to my advisor, he said that was a good thing to tremble at James 3.1 and have a heart that is soft and receptive to the warning. It's only when our hearts become hard, he said, and we think that we're above such failings, does Satan work to bring us down and lead whole con congregations astray. Hearts are very much at the center of today's passage from Mark 12, as Jesus looks at a group of people that everyone thought was ab also above temptation and reproach. The group in question was the scribes, the biblical experts of Old Testament who taught people God's law. Now, it was impossible to miss the scribes when they passed by. They wore blindingly white robes with long tassels that drooped to the ground. That made them stick out in any crowd, and the second they were noticed, people would stand up and move out of their way to show respect to these men. The scribes would then glide by everyone with these pious expressions, and everybody looked up to them. Yet Jesus warns his listeners about the scribes, telling them to watch out for these men. Their great failing was that all of this status and respect had gone to their heads. The scribes genuinely thought that they were better than the rest of the masses, and they thought, sought status and position above all else. In the synagogues, they'd have the seat closest to the speaker. They'd sit up right here on the platform with me. At any banquet, they'd be given the place of honor. Out and about in town, people would genuflect and greet them reverently. And there wasn't a shred of humility to them because of this. President Woodrow Wilson once said that he knew a minister who could strut even while sitting down. That's kind of what the kinds of people these scribes are.
The scribes aren't just full of themselves, but as Jesus says, they're dangerous predators. Scribes couldn't charge for their services, but they could accept people to sponsor them. And then they figured out, strangely enough, that the poorer families, the more vulnerable people like widows, could be leaned on for greater financial support. Why? Because there was this prestige in sponsoring a scribe. Somebody really far down on the social ladder might figure it's a quick way to move up a rung or two by giving a lot of money to a scribe, and the scribes gladly took advantage of their desperation. Scammers today know that the elderly, isolated, and widowed are among the most vulnerable to fraud and theft. They'll target them with official-sounding phone calls and letters trying to wheedle money away from them. The FBI actually issued a warning about scammers who comb obituaries looking for grieving wives to call. They then tell these women that their husbands had an outstanding debt with them, and then they try to extort money that way. It's this kind of injustice that God's anger burns greatly against, and so should we. The scribes also prayed in the exact way that God most disliked, all for show. If there's one thing you learn about God from reading the whole sacred scripture, it's that he does not respond well to arrogance and presumption. Jesus is sitting there in the temple watching these white-robed men, making a big show out of praying loudly and eloquently for all to hear, just to impress their lessers. You get the feeling that these scribes kept peeking through their fingers while praying to see who was watching them. Now, the world might have been fooled by the scribes, but Jesus wasn't. He saw how heartsick they really were. He correctly identifies them as as wolves in snowy white clothing, out to hurt rather than help the flock that they're shepherding. Now, we should take Jesus' warning about these types of people and use it to guard ourselves today. Firstly, God's church should watch the doctrine and the conduct of its leaders, especially those who are put in a position of spiritual authority and teaching, and including, yes, the pastor. The church should also be faithful in praying for this teacher's strength, integrity, and honesty. But second, we also must guard ourselves against developing a sick heart in our own lives, even at church. Regularly ask yourself if you serve and worship God here at Knox for the status and the public recognition of praise or if it's out of genuine love. We're not here to strut around and play who's the better Christian. We're here to point to Jesus as the one who succeeded where we did not. Now, if you were to visit the Temple of Jerusalem back then, one of the features that you'd see was a row of 13 receptacles that looked like metal funnels or trumpets. These were the offering bins designated to different ministries, such as supporting the priests or providing for the poor. People would walk by and they'd toss in their donations and with the heavy coins making loud clinks and clatters. If you heard a lot of these noises, chances are you'd look over at someone preening as they made a significant offering. So Jesus sets up right across from these receptacles and he sits there for a while, just people watching. Do you ever do this at airports or coffee shops or malls? Sometimes Joy and I make a game out of trying to figure out just as much as we can about strangers from how they look and they act and what they wear. Here Jesus is just watching the people go by, tossing in their change, listening to the noise it made, and then walking away. But then, then he sits up straight and he calls the apostles over to him. He points and for a second they have no idea who he's pointing at. There's nobody there, no no one really, just a, a raggedy lady, a widow, quietly walking to one offering bin. She's probably embarrassed at how small her coins are as she slips them through the opening, not even hearing a single plink 
to mark their passage. The amount of money that this widow gave was pitifully small. It was about 1 64th of a day's wage back then. I did some calculations to see what that'd be like today, assuming if somebody worked about eight hours at the minimum wage of 11.10 an hour, what she tossed in was a whopping buck 38, not even close to getting a $5 foot long at Subway, and it was all she had left in her purse. Yet with a smile on his face, Jesus gives her a spiritual ovation and says, there, there, that woman right there, she is fulfilling the great commandment. She's loving God fully. She just gave everything she had when she couldn't really afford it, all because she has a heart for the Lord. And she's not even doing it to get any praise or recognition. She's just doing it sincerely and cheerfully. I'll tell you what, ever since that day, there have been many people in the world who have given great donations to build hospital wings, theaters, huge public works, and all of them have been trumped by the most famous donation in all of history, which was these two tiny coins given by a woman out of love for God. It was an honest, sacrificial devotion, something the scribes did not practice. There was a funeral that I once officiated at for a woman who survived the bombing of Dresden in World War II. She had no family left, so when I did the service at the graveyard, I was kind of startled to see a member of our church standing in the back of the crowd. I had no idea he even knew this lady. What I found out later was that he had been financially supporting this widow for the last few years, giving to her quietly so that nobody else would know. He didn't do it for praise, but because he wanted to follow God's command to care for the widows and love his neighbor. Our giving practices are a surprisingly effective way of revealing the state of our hearts. We care a great deal about our money, so what we use it for reflects on what we care about the most. There are a lot of reasons why we might give money, but what Jesus says here is that God cares the most about why you give more than how much you give. In the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that if we give away all we have, but we don't have love for God and others in our hearts, then we gain nothing. And that's what I'd urge you today. I'm not here to tell you how much you should give to the church or to other Christian charities, but I will impress upon you that whatever number you decide, make sure it's given for the right reason with a loving heart. Our time of offering at the end of the service is a part of worship where we get to model this widow, giving happily to the God who has given his all to us. Whenever the NFL draft arrives, fans and teams spend so much time trying to evaluate the potential and the desirability of players. Stats and histories are looked at intensely. The virtues of each player are fiercely debated. It's a really big deal for some people because a good draft can lay the foundation for a successful season. But you know what? Sometimes we get it wrong when we evaluate people. Sometimes we're looking at misleading factors or we don't have enough insight to make a proper judgment. Remember back in 1 Samuel 16 when Jesse's trotting out all of his large strapping sons to the prophet Samuel as potential candidates to be anointed for the throne of Israel? Remember how they certainly looked the part of kings and even Samuel thought that they did. But what was God's response? The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? He looks at the heart. And so the Lord picked the youngest, the smallest boy, a guy named David, to be his chosen king. The Lord saw that David's heart was on fire for God, and that's exactly who God wanted to lead his people. 
I guarantee you that the day you arrive in heaven, you're going to see some people elevated and honored that you'd never heard of or would have considered great in this world. I fully anticipate a lot of unknowns getting top billing in God's sight because he saw how their hearts were first and foremost aimed at pleasing him and obeying his commands. Your heart bears your love for God. You can't fake that. Not to a God who sees right through you. The world may have overlooked the widow. They may have fawned all over the scribes. But on that day in the temple, Jesus saw who was really heart strong. And I can't wait to meet her one day.